The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, once again, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. It's supposed to get 27 inches of snow today, so um, be ready for that. Uh, just kidding. Uh, I was kind of hoping to wake up and it'd be white, but it's not, um, so that's all right. A couple uh, reminders, we do have a reading plan coming out uh, starting January 1st, and that reading plan uh, this coming year will actually be a chronological plan through the Bible for the year. So um, if you are on Uversion, which is the app that we use for a reading plan, um, if you go on Uversion, they have a new feature where you can actually subscribe to a church, and the Grove Church is on there, and uh, you can jump into the plan we're going to do together. And the cool thing about that is as we like and make comments on certain things day by day, you can kind of read those and, and you can interact with us all throughout this coming year. So I encourage you to look into that and sign up for that. And it'll start, like I said, obviously January 1st as we get into the new year. So the reading plan will be out there. Um, you can also find that on our website and it'll link to you to the version plan. We're gonna be in Luke chapter two today. If you got a Bible with you, I always encourage you to bring one. Uh, but of course I know smartphones, you got a Bible app there, that's gonna work as well. And we're in a series called Wonder. And uh, the, the idea of wonder, on one hand, is to be in awe, to marvel, uh, to, to find, uh, you know, to, or to be amazed at something. But another definition is um, to, to speculate, to wonder. And so it's kind of a couple of different ideas. And the idea in that sense to wonder is really like something that happened to me uh, last spring. I was driving into our neighborhood and just right into our neighborhood, there was a cop parked there and he's just sitting in his car and facing the road. And I thought, okay, that's a little different. That doesn't usually happen in our neighborhood. And I got another, you know, couple hundred yards down the road and there was another one and then a couple hundred more yards down the road and another one. And I'm like, what have I done? But anyway, uh, no, just kidding. No, I was like, I, want, I wonder what's going on. And of course it turns out that there was actually a couple of guys that had stolen a car, got into our neighborhood, got out and ran into the woods kind of by us and they were looking for them. And, uh, and again, this is kind of thing like you wonder what's happening. Or maybe you've had this experience where you're thinking about something and a little bit of time goes on and you stop and go, why was I thinking about that? I wonder where that came from. And then you drop back to, I thought about this, and you drop back to, let me think about that, and you kind of bring it to where you're at, and, and that's what happened. We wonder. Andy Stanley, um, in a sermon a while ago, um, shared this, uh, we wonder, this idea of wonder, we wonder because our frame of reference isn't clear. Uh, and, and, and you think of things like, you know, you wonder, and it's kind of a joke, but which came first, the chicken or the egg? And we could wonder on that all day long. Or we wonder, what would it have been like to live 200 years ago? Or we wonder, you know, what will it be like to live in 200 years? What will, you know, humanity sort of be like? Or sometimes we wonder as we lie in bed at night awake, you know, what is my purpose? Or why am I here? What is, you know, life about? And we wonder these things. Or sometimes it's something as simple as this. We, we wonder, you know, like who created and why did they create the McRib, right? It's like, I don't understand. Um, anyway, that's, so we'll, we'll keep going. But I, I, I want to mention this as we think about this word wonder in the sense of I wonder about it. I can't imagine what Mary wondered. And I want to bring that up because when you and I look at the Christmas story, I'm convinced that if you're a person that's been part of church world for any length of time, or you know the basic elements of the Christmas story, there's something I think that we might have missed. And this literally hit me as I was studying this message, and I've been a follower of Jesus for 30 years now. And so, um, I, and I'll walk you through it. So 40 days after Jesus' birth, 
the requirement for any child born in Israel was to participate in what's called a purification ceremony. It comes out of Leviticus chapter 12, and it's, it's what they were required to do. So 40 days after Jesus is born, they come to the, the temple. They bring the, the two you know, turtle doves or the two pigeons uh, for you know, part of the sacrifice. And what happens is they encounter a guy named Simeon. We know very little about this individual named Simeon. We know that he's described as somebody of high character. And by the way, that theme comes up multiple times in the Christmas story. When it talks about who Mary was, she was a person of high character. It talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who she would give them birth to John the Baptist, people of, of high character. And, and it's kind of maybe another sermon for another day. But um, it says that Simeon was a person of high character and that God had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he dies. Now, you can read that in the Gospels and go, wow, that's amazing. If anybody today ever tells you something like that, you'd be like, like really? This is kind of Twilight Zone. I don't know that you're hearing things correctly. But this is what Simeon uh, had experienced. And so what happens is uh, they, they bring Jesus to Jerusalem for this purification ceremony. And it says in Luke 2.27, moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts, talking about Simeon. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, remember Leviticus 12, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 33 says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Father, today as we look at these verses and a couple others past this, we pray that, God, your spirit would really work in, in all of us. God, we pray that we would understand maybe in a new way, kind of like I did this week, um, what this is about and what's going on in the hearts of people as we wonder in the Christmas story. Thank you for your work here. Thank you for this season and the season of, of wonder that it is in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas, as we have said already, is a time of wonder. And uh, we marvel or we wonder and, and, and find ourselves in awe at God's love for us in the Messiah, in the Savior. And in the Christmas story, here's Simeon, and Simeon is blessing Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Now, when you look at the story, Matthew and Luke, which is where we get the Christmas story from, you, you, you'll notice that, that there's all kinds of elements to it. Mary knew, Mary had seen or heard or understood these elements. And I'm going to explain this to you. When you look at Elizabeth and Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, and we went through this a few weeks ago, talking about John the Baptist and, and all of that text, um, Mary knew about that story because she was related to Elizabeth, and she goes and visits Elizabeth while Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. So she knew the story of the angel visiting and all the details of it. In fact, there's a point where the, the, the baby leaps in her womb when Mary shows up, and there's some text there that's pretty profound. But what you find at the core of it is this. John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, but years later would prepare the way for Jesus. Okay, John the Baptist, like a voice crying in the wilderness, but would prepare the way for the Lord. Okay, and then as the story goes, she was visited by the angel Gabriel, Mary was. And it talks about how she would be with child and Mary's kind of perplexed and a little stressed, all that stuff. And, and, and explain, the angel explains kind of how it would happen. And the idea there is that the Messiah would come from her and the Messiah would rule. 
Okay, as you continue on in the story, Joseph was visited by an angel because remember, Joseph found out Mary's pregnant. He's like, I didn't do anything and something's wrong here and I probably need to kind of walk away. And he decides he's going to kind of walk away from her quietly behind the scenes as to not kind of create a scandal for Mary. But then this angel visits Joseph and has the, you know, he has this encounter and the Lord's doing this and all that stuff. And of course, he, he sticks around. But the idea there from Matthew is that he will save his people. Okay, then in back to Luke chapter two, the shepherds, and I want you to follow me, but the shepherds are, it says they were out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks. All of a sudden the heavens opened. They have this vision of angels. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. You know, in, in the town of Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And they're blown away and they're told to go and check it out. And there's going to be a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And they're, they're you know, intrigued at what happens. And then they go and visit Mary and they see the baby there and they explain the whole story. And it says that Mary wondered, pondered these things in her heart. As the story continues, and this is much later in Jesus' life, not much later, but, but we're not talking days, we're talking probably a couple of years later, the Magi come to visit Jesus. And it says they bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But it says in particular in that story, they were coming to bow down and worship the new king of Israel. And, and then part of it is when they go to you know, Jerusalem and they try to find the, the, this child, it says that they talked to others and King Herod heard you know, about this. And what does King Herod do? King Herod hears there's a new king and he's king. So he's like, I can't have a new king because I'm king. So let's get rid of that king so I can keep being king. Did you follow that? Okay, so, so why do I bring all of this up? Because in the context of the Christmas story, for most of us that know the story, we find ourselves incredibly grateful that a Messiah is coming. Because the idea of a Messiah in our context is, yes, Jesus was born in a manger. It's incredible. Virgin birth, all the stuff. Perfect. That's awesome. But the idea is he would go to the cross to then become the Messiah that would save all of us from our sins, right? That's the story we know. So when you and I read about a baby in a manger and we hear about Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, ruler of the tribe of David or of the lineage of David and all that stuff, we're amazed by it because we know what it means on the cross. I'm convinced that throughout the story that you and I read of Christmas, they were thinking of the coming king, just like you and I would be, but they weren't thinking cross. When you look at the history of Israel and all of the prophetic texts, a high majority of the prophetic text about a, an eventual redeemer or eventual Messiah would be that they would take Israel from occupation by another nation and they could rule and be their own people again. Because remember, in the story of Jesus, Israel was under Roman occupation. They weren't their own nation. They were subject to the Roman Empire. And so when they hear Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, they're thinking, this guy's going to rule and reign. Keep in mind, when Jesus is walking around and performing miracles and teaching crowds, and at one point, they get this idea, the disciples get this idea that Jesus would rule, what was their conversation about between themselves? Oh my word, he's going to be on the throne? That's awesome. I wonder if we'll get to sit on his right and on his left. And they're jockeying for position and trying to figure out who gets to be number two and three and four in charge. Because Jesus is going to be the king. 
That's the context of the entire Christmas story if you go back and read every single bit of it, which I did over and over. And then you get to something peculiar, and that's Simeon. And I find it weird that the Lord showed him, you're going to see the Messiah, and then you're good to go. You're, you can die now. But that's Simeon. And so Simeon goes to the temple kind of at random, and Mary and Joseph show up on that day and bring the child for the purification ceremony, bring Jesus the child for the purification ceremony. And Simeon knows in that moment through the Holy Spirit, this is that Messiah that I told you you were going to see. And this is, all, this is what he says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You and I hear the word salvation and we think cross. He wasn't saying that. When he talks about salvation, it's the idea he's going to save the people of Israel from Roman occupation. Seeing your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And you want to talk about wonder? Mary and Joseph wondered what he meant. That's literally verse 33. It says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Because you can imagine, wait a minute, the shepherds told me some of this. Wait a minute, an angel visited me, Gabriel, and told me some of this. Wait a minute, Zechariah and Elizabeth had a baby that they eventually called John. They would, he'd be known as John the Baptist. They would prepare the way for this baby in my womb or this baby that now is being purified in this ceremony. She knew all of these elements, and Simeon says it, and they go, wow, there's even more, more of a case being built for this child being the Messiah. It's great. The Redeemer, the ruler, they marvel. And previously, previously, by the way, when the shepherds come to visit and they hear the story, is it says that she pondered all of these things in her heart. I wonder what this is all about. I wonder how this is going to work because the other part to know is that it was, it was basically impossible for individuals living in poverty to rise to the ranks of kingship in that day. Today, in our context, it's not unusual that you, you grow up as a, as a kid in the projects, as a you know, hard knock life, whatever else, and eventually you become a CEO or you become you know, some Fortune 500 or you become president or whatever. And that's a story that we can go, I, I get that. You know, we talk about America's the land of opportunity, and if you just work hard and do all these things, and you can do that. It wasn't that way in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, if you were born into poverty, you lived in poverty, and it was only those with some direct lineage. Yes, they had a lineage to David, but it was so far removed. It's like you and I saying, well, and by the way, some of the lore in my own family is we're, we're uh, related to Princess Anastasia from somewhere in Europe or whatever. How amazing. I have no real connection to that, Right? In the same way that you say, well, I'm ready to the so-and-so from 200 years ago. Great. Doesn't necessarily mean anything today. So they were of the tribe of David. They had the lineage, but it was so far removed that they were poor people living as, you know, we talk about Jesus, you know, son of a carpenter type of thing. It was impossible for him to become king. And yet they're like, I don't know what God's going to do here, but it's clearly going to be miraculous because he'll eventually be king. They're constantly thinking that form of king. But it's all about to take a turn in what Simeon goes on to say. And if you look, um, here we're talking verse 34. It says, then Simeon blessed them. And again, common, that's what they would do as a prayer of blessing, a prayer of encouragement. 
Um, and then it says, and said to Mary his mother. So here's Simeon, and there may have been others around. It maybe wasn't just Mary, Joseph, the baby, and Simeon. In fact, we know that Anna comes along right here in the same context. But there's maybe others around. But Simeon uniquely leans into Mary to say these next things. It says, he said to his mother Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. I don't think there's anything peculiar about that. That's the idea of, look, anybody that gets to become king, they have their supporters, they have their critics. It just is what it is. And then goes on to say, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that's not even that peculiar. That's not, again, you're going to be a king, you're going to be a leader, there's, it's going to be, you know, reveal where people are at and the corruption in government or whatever else. Nothing unusual about that necessarily, but then these words, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And that's the difference. That to me, when you read the entirety of the Christmas story, that phrase to me is the only phrase that I can find in all I studied that leans into something tragic coming down the pike. Everything else is good news of great joy. Everything else is presents and turkeys and Christmas lights and all the stuff you can imagine. Everything else is the nostalgia of the moment. But Simeon says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. See, we take for granted That the Christmas story is a story of a savior who would come into the world as a baby and die on a cross for our sins. Awesome, true, the anchor to everything is that right there. That's huge. And all those prophecies about a savior had everything to do with the Messiah coming, but not in the context that most of us have understood Messiah. It was mostly about eventually a king that's going to reign of the lineage of David. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon says to Mary, just so you know, there's some tough news in this whole story. And she would watch her son die brutally. And while he's on the cross, his best friends would walk away hiding to try to save their own bacon. The Savior would rule but would first suffer. And I think we take for granted that that's the case. We, we, we sort of know it. I've heard that before. I've known that before. He comes first as a suffering servant, eventually as a conquering king. All true. But in the context of the Christmas story, I was surprised to not find that there wasn't more about the suffering portion. And I don't know that, that they understood that part of it, except that Simeon, at the very end of his speech, simply says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I would imagine that she wondered, what does that mean? Why is it going to go that way? But it would also be tough because nobody could describe how tough what she would experience down the road would be. Imagine seeing your own child put up on a cross, one of the most brutal ways to die. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's brutal. It's hard, it's hard to watch. It's heart-wrenching. And here's Mary. See, for you and me, the Christmas season is one of wonder in the sense of awe. And, and by the way, it should be. By the way, when the shepherds say, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people, that includes us. It is a story that brings you and I hope. It's absolutely true that there is peace beyond understanding in a Savior. Can I hear an amen? 
then it's absolutely true that in the Savior we find hope and life and strength and, and purpose and all those things that we need. Those things are true. And it all started with Emmanuel, God with us, the, the Lord that would come down from heaven and earth and, and take the form of a child in a manger to eventually deal with the issue of your sin and my sin. That's huge. That's paramount. That's a big deal. And that picture should bring us a sense of, wow, God, you are awesome. And I am awestruck by what you've done for me. But nevertheless, in the midst of a season of good news that includes great joy, a sword will pierce our own soul too. And that's why I think it's important in a season like this where we talk about good news of great joy that, that we can be honest about what Christmas represents sometimes. That things aren't as you hoped they would be. That there's family members that aren't going to be at the table anymore because they're gone and they've passed away. Or that maybe you've experienced the pain of divorce and, and sometimes worse than death because the person is still around but has rejected you. And you feel that this season. Or the children that have now grown up to a certain age where they don't appreciate being around you or they're walking through a certain struggle as adults and, and things aren't panning out the way you hope so that you gather around the turkey or the ham or the whatever you eat and everybody's full of joy and it isn't that way anymore. Or you have a job you go to because you can appreciate being able to pay your bills but you hate the job and it stresses you out every time you leave your driveway to show up at work. Or you have that addiction that on one hand you know there's freedom from, but you go around and around and around the mountain. You feel the shame and the guilt and you show up here and you hope something could change, but you continue to carry the weight of repetition that makes you feel lesser than. There's all kinds of ways to paint the picture. There's all kinds of ways to say it. But while on one hand, Christmas is a season that's good news of great joy and always should be, we've got to be honest at times that sometimes the gatherings aren't what you hoped they would be. That sometimes the, the being with family isn't what you hoped it to be. Sometimes what you have in mind and what you experience don't match up or it's simply the idea that on one hand, I'm grateful for a savior, but I would much rather wish it was into the new year and we could just be done and sweep the holidays under the rug. It's okay, because I'm convinced that Mary wondered at that phrase, and a sword will pierce your own soul to you. It's okay, because even in a season of joy, I believe the Lord is walking right alongside of every one of us if we would let him through seasons that are painful and through things that aren't just happy-go-lucky and everything's great. Isaiah said it this way, and many of you have heard these verses. I'm going to start um, in verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, uh, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you've been in Christ for a length of time, you're familiar with Isaiah 53. But what you have to remember is, in a lot of ways, Isaiah 53 is buried among a mountain of other prophecies. And most of those lean heavily towards a Messiah as a ruler, a Messiah as a coming king, a Messiah of the line of David that would be the redeemer of a nation. And their context was that king. And yet, just like the writer of Hebrews says, and I love this in chapter 4, verse 15. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. For we do not have, speaking of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. When you look at the story of, of God's love for you and I in a manger, we need to be reminded that whatever pain it is that you face, whatever loss it is that you carry, whatever sense of disappointment in how things should have turned out, and it's not that way, God comes right alongside of us with Emmanuel. God comes right alongside of us with that comforter that you and I desperately need. And we ought to find a sense of gratitude in that, even though the pain is real. It's a weird day to share this message, and I don't say this for pity. In fact, I, I, I questioned saying anything at all. But it was exactly 20 years ago, right about now, that I got news that my sister passed away today. And I thought, what a weird day to preach a sermon like this. And yet here we are. And I don't say it for pity. But I remember that season of my life. And there's been about three of those that I've experienced so far where the pain is so real. That if you've ever read the book of Job in the Bible, when he says things like, my tears are my food, I'm like, yeah, Job, me and you, bud. When he says things like, I writhe back and forth on my bed at night, you never want to be pals with Job. And I'm like, me and Job, man, simpatico. But it's in those seasons, and I know this sounds so like, oh, you're, you're just explaining away the pain, and that's not what I'm doing. But I want to assure you, in the midst of whatever feels like a letdown, whatever feels like it's not what you expected, whatever feels like this is not how I ever would have wanted it, or even the opposite, I just want to get to January and be done with all this. You're invited into the sense of, yes, joy in a Savior, but even greater than that, the idea that this Savior has done far more than, than save us, which is huge and then give us salvation because of the cross, but comes alongside of us in every bit of pain that we'll face just because it seems like a Savior is, is silent doesn't mean the Savior is absent. And as a reminder, when I look back on those seasons, I've said before, I would far rather be beat up in a back alley and end up in a hospital on medicine than have to go through the emotional pain that I've had to experience in three different seasons of my life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But what happens if you're willing to endure the pain and lean in to your faith is oddly enough, there's a depth to you that wasn't there before. That oddly enough, something grows in your nature and your character that you can look at the world through a different lens and you're better because of it. And I don't wish it upon anyone. And you can say, you're telling me that God would have me suffer so I can learn a lesson? I don't want you to see it that pithy. Pithy, I said pithy. I don't even know how to spell it, but P-I-T-H-Y. 
I don't say that as just a simple little cliche statement. I say it because that's the nature of the suffering that we face. There's things that can make us deeper. But what it is for all of us is a fork in the road. Will we choose to lean in to our faith in those moments and while we may not understand it, allow the process. Be honest that there's pain and it sucks. And navigate through it with a savior or as some people do, navigate into a pain like that and and try to reject it and be angry about it and instead of allowing God to do this work, they become bitter and, and, and angrier. And again, there are some stories in here where that's been the case. And I, I think you need to circle back. I think you need to stop how you've handled it so far and reconsider a better approach. And I feel like I'm almost begging you today. Because we're not exempt from tough stuff. We're not exempt from pain. Well, I could say, I don't know, I didn't put a percentage to it, and maybe I should have. But you could say 90 of the Christmas story is good news of great joy. But there is 5% or something like that that says a sword has pierced your own soul. And and I know it's not fun. And I don't even, I'm not trying to make light of it when I just get up here and give you a speech on a Sunday. But it's a reality of our situations. And we can't set aside that there are moments and seasons of our lives that are dark and hard. Mary had no idea when Simeon said that, what lie ahead. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced because as you continue through the Gospels, there's a couple of windows, one of them, where his family, including his mom, is calling him out from the crowds because they think he's lost his mind. Just so you know. And then, like I said, the other part where the disciples at one point are jockeying for who's going to be second and third and fourth and fifth in line as Jesus is ruling. Like, we're his buddies. We get to have great places in the kingdom, you know? And they're thinking kingdom king, Israel. Author John Bloom says it this way. As God works out his salvation of sinners, he leads us along unexpected paths that result in unexpected and sometimes agonizing pain. When it does, we can remember Mary. The darkest moment of her life, the sword that stabbed the deepest into her soul, was the moment that God used most to bring salvation and joy to the world and to her. That's how he works with us, too. When the sword pierces, all it feels like is terrible pain. But later we discover that our deepest wounding often becomes the channel through which the most profound grace flows. He is working, and he challenges us to bring our struggles to him. When you wonder at the pain that you face, when you wonder what God might be up to, you wonder if he's even around or listening, I assure you that he is. There's a song as I wrap this up today, uh, written by Mark Lowry way back in 1984 when some of you weren't even born yet. 1984, I was nine years old. And I don't know that this song was as popular in the 80s or even 90s, early 2000s as I feel like it's been maybe the last 10 years. But it's a song called Mary Did You Know. And I know you've heard it. And some of you roll your eyes and go, oh, that song, and it's all fluffy and whatever. And I kind of get it. Because if you take it at face value, it feels a little cheesy. I get that. 
but I'm going to sing for you. No, I'm not going to sing for you. Um, no, and you're like, where's he going with this? Like, if he's going to sing, leave, doors, two to the front, two to the side, two to the back, go. Go, let's go, let's go. Um, no, I, I, I bring it up because when you understand in context of Mary pondering, in the context of Mary wondering, because I think she wondered a lot of stuff. I wonder why the angels visited shepherds and they came and said all this stuff about this kid in my womb or at that point born, I guess. I wonder about the visit by Gabriel who said she was gonna have a child. I wonder about Zechariah and Elizabeth and this baby they're supposed to name John and what's, that all, what's this all about? Wonder about the Magi who literally brought gifts and bowed in worship. I wonder. Well, he's the king. But then for Simeon to say, and a sword is gonna pierce your own soul too. So I'm gonna read the lyrics to this song. But I want you to hear them in the context of everything I've talked about. Because for me, it painted pretty vividly the idea of what she maybe wondered. And some of it's far more specific than maybe it should be, but even still, when you and I know sort of the rest of the story, you might picture it similarly. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? That the child you delivered would soon deliver you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And then there's a refrain that says, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. I don't know what she wondered. And Mark Lowry doesn't know what she wondered in particular. But to me, it's that idea that in the midst of wondering about a king, was also wondering about the pain she would experience. And it's part of the Christmas story. And it's a reminder for any one of us that is in the midst of facing some of the pain of, while on one hand, the joy of the season, and yet you're like, yeah, but, and you can fill that in. Jesus today, I, I love the celebration of a savior. And I think it's huge and we should celebrate. And it should make us laugh and, and it's part of the, 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 the purpose that we would have through the lens of our faith in Christ that we gather and that we give gifts and all of the stuff that sometimes that gets washed out by the commercialism. But, but God, it's different for us that we do celebrate. And that it, will, it will be followed this season by certain individuals on, on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve or whatever, coming, the coming days, reading of Luke, the reading of Matthew. Some of the comments that certain family members will make or the stopping just to simply pray Jesus, thank you that we can give these gifts we're about to give because you gave the greatest gift. And I pray that in the midst of all of it, God, where we do have that twinge in our hearts of 
pain or where instead of a twinge, it feels like a flood. I pray that you would be the comforter. I pray that you would be the strength giver. I pray, God, for those that feel like what they're experiencing is a mountain of that phrase, my tears are my food like Job, that God, even still, individuals would be challenged to lean in because you're present. And I do pray for those that face the shame of, of falling prey to addiction, falling prey to certain things that keep tripping them. There's, there's anger and issues that have divided relationships. God, I pray for the humility to own the things that can be God. And I thank you that, God, it's your design to redeem the whole of our lives, starting with our own souls because of our Savior. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. And I pray in the midst of the joy of the season that we would find in profound moments that you meet us even in our pain. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.